listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. One Sunday, you're helping out in the nursery, and the next, you're preaching on the stage. Isn't that life? That's all for the day. I'm just going to... This morning, um, I'm going to spend the whole time in First John. I'm going to start with chapter 1, verse 1, and work through 2-6. So if you have the ESV translation of the Bible, that's one column on uh, page 1021. So that's convenient for some of you. For others of you, you need to make a new Bible purchase. Just kidding. Let's, let's pray first before I, before I do anything else. Jesus, uh, forgive me for thinking there's anything I can add to your word to make it more digestible. Forgive me for thinking I have to help you in any way when it comes to Revealing yourself to your people by the power of your spirit, the truth of Jesus. The truth is, I could, read, I could read these verses and, and walk off the stage and you could accomplish more work in five minutes of verbatim reciting than you could in five years of me standing up here rambling on and on. So would you illumine your text for us this morning? Use whatever commentary I might have to, to, to phrase it in a way that, that people will see it a little bit differently maybe. But God, I pray that your gospel would be made clear and that your people and, and, and everyone here would would see you more clearly and, w- and would cherish the cross and love Jesus. So would you, would you use these next however many minutes to accomplish the work that only you can do because your word is yours. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First John is widely understood. Not really much debate that. John the Apostle wrote it. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel according to John. John the Apostle spent all of his time with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He was there when Jesus turned water into wine, his first miracle. John was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I think. At least he heard about it. He knew about it, whether he was in the room or not, but he was there. John was there to see Jesus have a conference call with Moses and Elijah, who are dead. He saw that happen. Um, He saw Jesus crucified and understood what was going on there, but Jesus himself even spoke to John from the cross, telling John that Jesus' mother Mary would now be John's mother and that John would be her son. John was there when... 
Jesus was resurrected, he was one of the several hundred people who saw Jesus after he came back from, from the dead. And John was there when Jesus cooked a breakfast of fish sticks for his disciples. I don't know if you guys remember that part. It's in there where Jesus invites all his disciples out, out off the lake and he says, oh, by the way, I made you a, a heaping portion. Who wants eggs? Jesus, he was there for that. John was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He saw that happen. All of John's life is, is, is changed by who Jesus is, by the gospel that Jesus died for sinners, that God so loved the world that God gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish. That, that's what John wrote because John lived it. He saw that happen with his own eyes. So then 60 years later, John sits down and he writes this letter, 1 John. And he's still living in light of who Jesus is. He, he writes the Gospel of John. He writes two other letters. He writes the book of Revelation. John's context. John's context is Jesus. So let me read 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 6. It's a chunk, but I'll do my best James Earl Jones impression and... Hopefully it'll be easier for us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You'll notice that John is a bit of a different writer than a lot of the other authors in the New Testament. 
Paul, for example, all of his letters are very linear. He's very logical, methodical, straightforward. He builds on a point and keeps going in succession until he finally has this, you know, moment of aha where everything becomes clear. But with John, it's what they call symphonic, circular. He'll say one thing and you think he's left it and then he comes back to it again. I mean, you saw it in just, in just a column of text here that John is really all over the place, but he's got one central idea going on at one time. He just likes to, to pick at different aspects of it. So as I preached through this, it, I kind of hesitated at first because it, it is a bit of a challenge just taking a chunk of scripture out of its own book, which is not really written in linear form. But I'll do my best, and I hope that, I pray that, what comes of this really encourages you to, to see the gospel for what it is, the way John sees it. The message that John brings out, and he, he says it straightforward, he says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's John's message. That's the point of everything he says after this. That, that's what he's been building up to in the first four verses when he says that, let's see, the life was made manifest and we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you. That's the message. We proclaim that, the life that was man, made manifest. We proclaim eternal life. Eternal life is found in this message that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He says that, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So the proclamation of this simple message that God is light, there's no darkness in him, this is enough for eternal life, this is enough for fellowship with other people who believe the same thing because this is in essence, this is the gospel. God is, is pure and we are not. God has no impurity in him. We do. It's, it, it really actually sounds a lot like something John wrote earlier in, or in his gospel where he says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines and the darkness hasn't overcome it. John keeps bringing this up in a lot of his writings, this concept that God is light, there's no darkness in him. Then he goes on and he says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You notice he says we. And he's clearly writing to people who at least claim to understand the gospel. And so when he lays this out, he's starting off by saying, look, there are actually alternatives for people who claim to live in the gospel. Like th there are different ways you can live. Because we all know you can say one thing and do another. I mean, you, you can pretend to be something you're not. And John acknowledges this and says, look, for those who claim to have fellowship with God, who is the light, it is possible to walk in darkness. And he calls those people liars. We lie and do not practice the truth if we walk in darkness but claim to have fellowship with God because God is light and there's no darkness in him. And so if you have a dark path, then God's not illuminating that. You know, there is such thing as perfect darkness. And, and really, 
even the slightest bit of light is enough to change perfect darkness into something where you can actually see a little bit. Perfect example, I recently had the exhausting experience of going on a spelunking trip with Crosspoint's middle school youth. And immediately upon walking in uh, into this cave, you realize that temperature is drastically dropping as you're walking down these stairs. It was like being somewhere in Lord of the Rings. That's exactly what it was like. And we all had our headlamps, you know. And as you, as you walk deeper and deeper into this cave, there's no, there's no daylight coming in at all. I mean, it just gets darker and darker and darker. And the only thing that actually provides light besides the headlamps is these, these electrical fixtures. Somehow they got power down in this cave, never understood. But they have lights, you know, every so many yards. And so that's how, that's how you can see down there because otherwise there's absolutely no light. So at one point, because I'm kind of a intimidated by this. This is really, by the way, if you're claustrophobic, cave trips are probably not the time to find this out. So we're, we're walking deeper and deeper into the, the bowels of the earth, and um, all these middle schoolers around me jumping through stuff, crawling through, you know, nooks and crannies and whatever, and I, I'm just sitting here just amazed at all this, until our guide says, hey, you know what, kids? If you all turn off your lights, we'll be in perfect darkness. There's only two places in the world you can find perfect darkness, at the bottom of the ocean and in caves like this one. So everybody, turn off your lights. And of course, thankfully, I was with middle schoolers, so that didn't really happen right away. So there's that one kid, you know, there's that one kid who's got his light on, and he's like, hey, turn off your light. Finally, that kid turned off his light, and at that point, it is utter darkness, I've never experienced, I thought I'd been in darkness before, but I'd never experienced darkness until I was in this cave with all these middle schoolers screaming their brains out. And then the guide says, um, you know, if you're in utter darkness, perfect darkness for too long, your eyes will cease to function. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think I missed that window. We're fine here. Because the rods and cones, if you're curious, the rods and cones or whatever it is in your eyes when... When there's no light, they're always, they, they constantly vibrate to pick up light. And when, when they do this for too long, because if it's perfect darkness, there is no light. So they're just going to keep running until they find something. After a while, they, they literally burn out, which is a very frightening thought to me, <laughs> that your eyes could just... <laughs> so we were in perfect darkness for about a split second before I had a panic attack. And I've never been in anything, in anything darker. But it's funny, you turn on light even just a little bit, and that, that changes everything. You can, see, you, you can see reflections off of things. You can, you can see the outlines of people, if nothing else. Um, so so that, that's darkness. But I don't really think that there's ever a point where light becomes perfect light. I think there's always, I mean, I might be wrong, and this might totally throw everything off here, but I, I, just, I, I just think that you can always add more light to something, right? I mean, you can always just increase the the energy increase the level and, and eventually you might go blind but come on I mean there's varying degrees of sunlight and isn't you know of stars and whatnot okay so anyway so so light and darkness um he says if if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin so people who claim to walk with God but really walk in darkness uh it's it, that's a lie, because God, it, there's no darkness in God at all. He is perfect light. So 
you're, you're lying if you're walking in darkness. That means God's influence is nowhere there if you think about it because darkness, even with a little light, is able to look different. But if you're walking in darkness, you're walking in darkness. There's no presence of light there. And I'm not going to get into the physics of is God everywhere and all that. We, we know he is omnipresent. But in this instance of righteous, holy change in us where, where we act according to the way God would have us act, there, there is this lack of light for those who walk in the darkness. But those who walk in the, in the light... There are two things that come from that. You walk in fellowship with God. Uh, excuse me, you walk in fellowship. He first says, we have fellowship with one another. So you have fellowship with other people who agree with you about walking in the light. Hey, you're, you're a band of brothers kind of mentality. But then you also have fellowship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ, whose blood cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light brings cleansing from sin. Walking in the light brings fellowship with other believers who are also walking in the light. I, I am a very light sleeper, no pun intended. But whenever I go to bed, I always have to, I have to be in complete darkness in order for me to really fall asleep. So I've got my blankets that I, I literally, I'll wrap them around my head. It's probably not safe. Then I've got my blinds, and actually my blinds have two layers. One is, is cloth, which obviously isn't going to do much. But then on top of that is a layer of bamboo, wood, stick, whatever. So it, it, it's like a steel curtain blowing down from my window. No light gets in. In fact, that's become a problem for me, or it had become a problem for me, because I would, I have to set three alarms every morning, by the way, in case you weren't sure. And so I'll set one, another one, and then 30 minutes later, my backup alarm will go off in case things get crazy. And, and with these blinds the way they are, it's very easy for me to just stay asleep. You know, I wake up at one o'clock on a Wednesday. My mom comes in. Hey, Robert, you know, it's one o'clock. What day is it? Wednesday. Oh my gosh, I went to bed on Thursday. Ridiculous. It's just so dark. And even the slightest bit of light will wake me up. So I've started to leave my blinds up because that is the only way that I can wake up is when the sunlight just wakes me up at whenever the sun comes up. And so the slightest bit of light changes everything for me. And so I'm still, I'm still sleeping late, but, but nevertheless, I'm at least got the light of, of the sun there to wake me up. Otherwise, I'd be in a coma forever. Um, so so there, you have light and you have darkness. Those who claim to be in Christ, those who claim to have fellowship with God and to be walking with God, really, these are your only two options. Seems pretty limited, but think about it. If God is light, there's really, and there's no darkness in God at all, there's really only going to be two options. You've got light and you've got darkness. You're either walking with God or you're not. You're either under the influence of who God is and what he said, or you're not. But as we keep reading, we'll find out that this really hinges on, on sin. I'll explain what I mean. Um, Starting in verse 8, says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Actually, I'll back up to verse 7 just to kind of keep it low and a little bit better. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Concealing your sin makes you a liar. 
We saw earlier, okay, if you walk in the darkness but claim to be with God, you're, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. But if we say we have no sin, claim to be walking with God, that's a lie too. You're, you're, you're lying. Not only about yourself or to yourself, kind of reassuring yourself, everything's fine, I'm not really sinful, that wasn't a mistake. But lying about Jesus, and actually not only lying about him, but really, more importantly, making a liar out of Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin. See, if Jesus did that, then what he's saying is we are sinners. And so for me to stand back and say, mm, I don't know if, if I'm really all that bad, is, is to call Jesus himself a liar as he, as he hangs on the cross. So, so concealing our sin is, is lying. But if we expose our sin, that brings cleansing. It says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So forgiveness and cleansing comes with exposing sin. Because because Jesus is just to have died on the cross and that, that is the punishment for sin. So the justice is still there. He's faithful to his people. Jesus does forgive sin. Jesus does cleanse from sin. Are you going to come to grips with it? Are you going to expose it? See, light walking, or walking in the light, that sounded like something from Star Wars. Walking in the light is not sinlessness. Understand, walking in the light is the, it's when sin is exposed. It's exposed by the light of, of who God is, who is light. There's no darkness in him. When we, when we are living under the light of who God is, our sin is going to be exposed because God's nature is sinless. So, in addition to that, though, we're also cleansed by the gospel, by the good news that Jesus has died to forgive sinners, that Jesus has absorbed the punishment for sin. You tracking with me? Walking in the light does not mean you're sinless. See, some of you think that you are hypocritical because you know, you know where you've been, You know the things that you've done. You know how your heart is even today and how you still struggle with a lot of sinful things. And you claim the gospel, but you really really hesitate to jump after Jesus and follow him because, because you know who you are or what you've done or who you were or someone else knows it. And, and, and you're, just, you're just walking around with these shackles of sin by your feet because, because you've got this stuff that you're just carrying around with you, your sin. I'm not excusing it. I, we're just getting real here. Okay, your sin, okay? You're walking around with it. And you're not, you're not following Jesus. You don't love Jesus. You don't understand the gospel. Your hypocrisy isn't in the fact that you're sinful. Your hypocrisy is in the fact that you claim to know Jesus, but you do not understand the gospel at all. 
that Jesus forgives sinners. See, you're quick to claim your own sin. And you're quick to call yourself a Christian, but you, you, are, you, you do not understand the gospel. You are not claiming the gospel for yourself. Some of you think that you're, you're not sinful. Or at least you're, 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 it's easy to excuse it. I mean, surely none of us really think, you know, I'm sinless. I've never done anything wrong. I get that. Hopefully none of us think that. But how often do we kind of rationalize and justify our own failure and sin? You know, well, that's not as bad as the thing that I did that other time. Or it's been a while since I've done this. It's not as bad as that person. You're not, you're not altogether denying that you messed up, but, but practically speaking, you walk around like there's nothing, you've never done anything wrong. You're perfect, you're sinless. You're, you're claiming the gospel as a Christian, oh, I love Jesus, I, you know. But you're not claiming your own sin. You're a liar. You need to come to grips with yourself. Come to grips with who Jesus has said we are, as humbling as it is and as frightening as it is. Some of you think you know a hypocrite. You think you know somebody who, can you believe what she said to me? How inconsiderate. Or, that guy is such a jerk. I know the way he lives. I know the way he treats his wife. He comes to church every day. And, and quick to, to point out other people's failure, which, which is a lot of times surely justified, right? People do sin against us, and there's nothing wrong with calling sin, sin. But listen, remember, walking in the light does not mean you're sinless. Now, this isn't an excuse. Walking in the light means that your sin has been exposed by the light of God, and that Jesus' blood is, is, is enough to cleanse that. See, somebody can sin against you and still be walking in the light if what they're doing is, if they, if they humbly turn to Jesus, they come to you asking for forgiveness. It doesn't make them a hypocrite. That, that makes them someone who really believes the gospel for what it is, that Jesus has come and died to save sinners. Some of you don't think you know any hypocrites at all. And everywhere you look, there's one more person who is just one-upping you when it comes to Jesus. You know, well, I hear that they're, uh, they're adding a cot in the new building for cross points so that that guy can always sleep there. And uh, so he'll always be around Brad at all times. That's what I hear. These people, you know, they, oh, that guy's got it together. He knows what he's doing. Does he know he's a sinner? Does he know he's a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior? See, these two things go hand in hand. That is the gospel. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. True hypocrisy, really, is rooted in 
proclaiming the gospel or saying you walk with God, but, but not either owning up to your own sin or understanding that Jesus is enough to cover it. And that, that, when it comes down to it, those are the real Christian hypocrites. You know, maybe some of you in here have this, this thing against Christians because they're all sinful, they're all hypocritical. Well, unless somebody has told you that they are perfect, they're not necessarily hypocritical. Now, if somebody's walking around sinning willy-nilly and not even acknowledging that they're doing anything wrong, not going after Jesus for forgiveness at all, that is hypocrisy. But the real Christian truth, the gospel, is that Jesus forgives sinners. So if I sin and ask Jesus for forgiveness, I'm not a hypocrite, I'm believing the gospel. Again, I'm not, I'm not excusing sin. This is not to say that sin is just no big deal or that sin is a good thing because, hey, look, it shows us the gospel. No, the point is that if you are sinning, which is something we all do from time to time, then you need to be acknowledging Jesus as your Savior for your sin. He is enough. He is enough to rescue us from the wrath of God. He is enough. True hypocrisy, this kind of hypocrisy where you claim to believe the gospel but do not understand it at all, this is really, I think, the root of a lot of other more visual hypocritical actions. So when you physically sin against somebody or you have a sinful thought or you verbally sin against somebody, that is probably more than likely motivated by the fact that you do not understand the gospel, which is really the hypocrisy. The end of hypocrisy, then, is a right understanding of the gospel. It's a right understanding of who Jesus is. It's owning up to our sin and believing and trusting in Jesus' sufficiency to take care of it. Starting with verse 1 in chapter 2, John says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him Truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do you see Jesus as your advocate? Do you understand that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins? Jesus makes us right with God. That's all that means. He, he, he fights for you. He defends you. He calls sinful people justified because he has taken on their punishment. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus makes us right. Do you understand that? See, when you see that, when you see that love... When, when you see the cross and what that really means, that, that alone is, is what's going what's gonna to change you from being someone who's constantly sinning to someone who 
seeks Jesus in everything. That alone. So I, I think that's why John keeps going. He says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Because you keep the commandments of the one that you love. You, you, you obey, you follow the one that, that you, you, you see is on your side. I mean, Jesus, is, if anyone, is. It says, um, whoever, uh, excuse me, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, that can actually have two meanings. And I think John does that on purpose. Because, okay, so in, in a person who keeps the commandments of God, and a person who follows Jesus, and as the rest of 1 John says, the only commandments are to know Jesus and, and to love people. John hits on that over and over again. So the person who does that, the love of God is perfected. That can, that can actually be taken two ways. In one sense, it could be, okay, the love of God, the love that God would have me do, that kind of love, that is perfected in me. So I, I am I'm loving God differently. I'm loving God correctly or more correctly that, that's true in that sense. And, but in another sense, the love of God is perfected in us. Just like where Paul says that the, strength, the weakness, uh, excuse me, the uh, power of God is made perfect in our weakness. The love of God is made perfect in people who just get the gospel and just live in that. God's love is perfectly working in us, enabling us to, to obey him, enabling us to serve him, enabling us to to love him when our sinful nature would have us not. But in, in all of this, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus is the center. Jesus is our hero. He's our idol. He's the one we want to copy. It, it just begins with understanding who he is and what he's done. And all of this, and all of this, as John opens it up even, he says in verse 4, we write these things so that, your joy, so that our joy may be complete. The truth that Jesus died for our sins, the truth that Jesus is our advocate, our propitiation, some people find that a little disheartening because they realize that they're sinful. But the, the fact is that it's for our joy to understand this. You just, can you just sit there and just... Bask in the glow of the fact that you are sinful, but, but Jesus is your advocate. I mean, the things that we deserve from a holy and just God, we do not receive because Jesus has absorbed that himself. Jesus absorbs it. He makes us right with God. I want to ask the band to come on back up and crank out some more music. But, but in the meantime, while they're coming up here, just think about this. What does the gospel mean? I'm sure most of you probably would claim that you're a Christian, the gospel is something that you agree with. But look, if, if you're not getting a grip on your sin, if you're not coming to grips, excuse me, with your sin, or you're not... You're not coming to grips with the fact that Jesus is supremely able to handle your sin. Then 
you're, you're, you don't understand the gospel. See, walking in the light has everything to do with exposing sin, not being perfect or blameless. Let's think about that as they play some more songs and, and really lean into it and, re, and respond with your hearts because Jesus, Jesus has died for our sin. Jesus makes us right. And he's enough. I'm going to pray and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing. Jesus, your blood is, is more than capable of cleansing us from all unrighteousness. I pray that as we sing, we would really meditate on the fact that, that merely confessing our sin and turning in trust to you, um, God, that is enough. Give us joy to know this. Give us joy as we sing. Give us joy as we leave here, knowing that, that there's nothing we can, we can muster up to make up for our failings, that, that ignoring them or, or ignoring the worth of your cross is, is not enough. I pray that you would rescue us from the hypocrisy of, of claiming to walk with you, claiming to walk in the light, but not really letting the light expose us and expose your cross and expose the gospel for what it is. Show us how to do that and give us joy this morning as we as we just dwell in, in your goodness. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.